basically the book of Micah is, is, is this. Jacob, Israel, you sinned against God. Your sin of idolatry and your rebellion against His Word has brought judgment to you. And, and the wording is judgment in such a way that you're not going to get out of. It's as if it has happened already. Though you're not in captivity now, know the Assyrians have not come down to destroy you. Know uh, Nebuchadnezzar eventually from Babylon has not come to Jerusalem and taken you captive. It will happen. Your sins have caused this. But he still gives them hope throughout this letter with each, each appeal to listen to the judgment that's coming at hand he also tells them that there's hope. Hope in the Messiah. Hope in the Hashem. The Lord. The, the God who will come and, and take care of them and, and meet all their needs. But he's warning them heavily. And in chapter 3, Micah actually pinpoints the reason as to why judgment is coming on, on the people. So let's just read the whole chapter. It's just, uh, I don't know how many verses, 12, 15? 12 verses. Let's read it together in Micah chapter 3. And I said, Hear now, O heads of Jacob, and you rulers of the house of Israel. Is it not for you to know justice? You who hate good and love evil, who strip the skin from my people and the flesh from their bones, who also eat the flesh of my people, they flay their skin from them, you break their bones and chop them in pieces like meat for the pot, like flesh in the cauldron. Then they will cry to the Lord, but He will not hear them. He will even hide His face from them at that time because they have been evil in their deeds. Thus says the Lord concerning the prophets who, who make My people stray, who chant peace while they chew with their teeth, but who prepare war against him who puts nothing into their mouths. Therefore, you shall have night without vision, and you shall have darkness without divination. The sun shall go down on the prophets, and the day shall be dark for them. So the seers shall be ashamed, and the diviners abashed. Indeed, they shall, cover, they shall all cover their lips, for there is no answer from God. But truly, I am full of power by the Spirit of the Lord and of justice and might, to declare to Jacob his transgression and to Israel his sin. Now hear this, you heads of the house of Jacob and rulers of the house of Israel, who abhor justice and pervert all equity, who build up Zion with bloodshed and Jerusalem with iniquity. Her heads judge for a bribe, her priests teach for pay, and her prophets divine for money. Yet they lean on the Lord and they say, is not the Lord among us? No harm can come upon us. Therefore, because of you, Zion, therefore, because of you, Zion shall be plowed like a field. Jerusalem shall become heaps of ruins, and the mountain of the temple like the bare hills of the forest. We're going to concentrate on the first half of the text, but I thought we'd read it to give you a good picture. It's not very pleasant, is it? It's not a very encouraging text. It's not one of the messages you'd go to, to church or synagogue or whatever and hear it and leave all fuzzy feeling, you know, warm and full. It's not like that at all. It is a head-jerking, 
knee-jerking kind of message from the prophet that, that says you better listen to what is coming to you. Now, he has already talked to Jacob. He's already spoken to Israel. In the first, in the first uh, section, chapters 1 and 2, he, he said, listen, all you peoples. You peoples, listen to me. Now, he says, you leaders, you prophets, you, you heads of the nations. Now it's your turn. You listen and understand why, as to why the judgment is coming upon these people. So that's what we're going to look at tonight a little bit. So mostly the first half up to about verse 7 and 8, but we'll mingle around the other verses a little bit, but concentrate on them next week. Let's pray. Father, bless your word that's been read. Bless the teaching. And Lord, we know tonight that, Lord, there's, I have nothing, ability or knowledge to bring something to your church, to the people here tonight that's any good for them apart from the Holy Spirit using these words from your word and speaking to the heart of, uh, of us tonight. Lord, we're here because we want something. We're here because we love you and we're here because we need you to work in us. And Lord, uh, Sunday night, Mike was telling me a little story about this great sculptor who was to sculpt a horse out of a large block of marble and someone said to him how do you get a horse out of that large block of marble and the great sculptor said I just take away the things that are not horse and Lord that that is a great truth tonight Lord as you are sculpting us to be in your image father take away the things that are not of your image and Lord work in us deeply tonight all of us in Jesus' name, amen. This text that I've just read is, is speaking pretty highly of the destruction of Israel. But it gives the explanation as to why Israel is going to be destroyed. We know that it's from their idolatry, right? But what does this text say? Where, where does Micah put the blame? Yeah, on the leaders. He puts it squarely on the leaders, but there's a couple of types. There's, there's the leaders, the ones that are to rule Israel, the ones that are to make sure that you know, they're in obedience to the, to the law and, and, and guide them by example and by teaching and, and to show them the way, the way of the Lord and, and to lead the people, to keep them from idolatry and to keep them from sin. But also he speaks to the prophets as well. The ones that are supposed to warn them and bring, bring that word, that revelation from God and, and also to keep them in the right direction. And, and it's kind of like the prophets would speak the word and the leaders were to disseminate that word and, and together they were to work, right? To keep the people serving God. Micah said, you guys have messed up. And, and we won't read them all again. But there's, there's three sections in this text that describe uh, the leaders and the prophets. Verses 1 through 3 explain what, what the, the leaders are. They hate good and love evil. In verse 2, they, they destroy the people in very, very vivid language. Pluck, out, pluck off their skin, take their flesh off their bones. 
They eat the flesh of my people and they flay their skin from them. They break their bones and chop them in pieces. The Jewish commentary says it's, it's the picture of they so destroy them. It's like you have a bunch of vegetables on, on a cutting board and you chop them to bits and pieces in order to make a stew. Andrew would do, you know, you chop the bone in the chicken or the, the oxtail or whatever and you chuck it in that big boiling a pot of water with all the veg and stuff. And, and he says, this is what you leaders and prophets are doing to the people. You're absolutely destroying them. You're supposed to care for them, but you're eating them alive, so to speak. And that's, that's the description of these prophets. Again, in verse 9, in, in, or verses 5 through 7, he, he goes on to say this about, about the prophets and the leaders. He says that the prophets make my people to err or make my people to stray. They're supposed to follow you to the Lord. They're supposed to mimic your life. You're supposed to lead them to God, but you're leading them astray. You bite with your teeth and you cry peace. And he that puts nothing into your mouths, you say you better prepare for war. I'll talk about that in a moment. Verses 9 through 12, again, another description about how bad these leaders and prophets are. You heads of the house of Jacob, you princes of the house of Israel, you abhor judgment and you pervert justice or you pervert equity. The destruction of Israel, yes, they've sinned as a nation, they've committed idolatry, but Micah now squarely puts it on the shoulders of the leaders and the prophets, the ones that were supposed to know better. And look what he says. He says, is it not for you to know justice? In the, in the latter part of verse 1, he begins, he says, hey, aren't you, some, aren't you supposed to know better? One way of looking at it is this. Micah, instead of saying it in a question, it could be, by the, 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 the Hebrew there, it could be made in a statement like this. You're supposed to know right from wrong. You are supposed to know the truth, and yet you're not speaking the truth to the people. Basically, Micah says, you know, you leaders, you're not like all the others. You are held to a greater responsibility, are, are they not? I mean, we learn that in the New Testament, don't we? T turn real quick. To Luke chapter 12, verse 48. Luke says this, but he who did not know yet committed these things deserving of stripes. Now these aren't, this verse isn't really talking about leadership, but it is talking about the concept of if you're giving some great responsibility, you have great um, responsibility that you have to give. It says, verse 48, but he who did not know yet committed these things deserving of stripes shall be beaten with you. For everyone to whom much is given, from him much will be required. And to whom much has been committed, of him they will ask the more. But it's really confirmed in James chapter 3, verse 1. James 3, verse 1 says, My brethren, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. The truth is, 
A lot of people want the position of leadership because they want the, and I say this very loosely, they want the glory. It's their pride, I think, because, because people look at the leadership, they look at the prophets, they look at people who speak and teach and preach, and they think, oh, for 40 minutes I can do that, or for 30 minutes I can do that. But what they don't understand is the weight and, and the great responsibility that is upon the position of leader, prophet, teacher, whatever it is. And, and what has happened to the people of Israel, the, the leaders of Israel, their pride and just their base lust has overtaken them and they stopped caring about the responsibility that God gave them and they started destroying the people through the false teaching and the, and the, and the materialistic desires that they had. Listen, don't ever wish for something that God hasn't called you in to do because the weight and the heaviness of it is tremendous. They were the ones who should have known and carried out justice. Micah says, is it not for you to know justice? Don't you know what right and wrong is in this matter? But instead of practicing justice and teaching truth, the Bible says that these teachers, leaders, prophets, they hated good and loved evil. See, what was going on at this time was this. The people were actually complaining against uh, Micah's prophecies. said, Micah, these are too hard. It's too harsh. It's too much. Our sin's not that bad. And they were complaining to the leaders. And then I guess the leaders were going to Micah and complaining. And Micah simply said to, said to them, is it not for you to know what's right and wrong? Don't you have God's Word? You are a covenant people. God has given you the Word. You should know the Word and know that what you've done and are doing, this is the reason the judgment has come upon you. Look at what these leaders who hate good and love evil have become. Look at verses 2, the latter end of it again. I call it 2B. Like, it's like the two middle part of it. They, it. The Bible says they hate good and love evil. L look what they do. They strip the skin from my people and the flesh from their bones. They also eat the flesh of my people. They flay their skin from them. They break their bones and they chop them in pieces like meat for the stew pot, like flesh in the cauldron. Micah likened in this text the unjust leaders to vicious hunters who killed and ate. They took undue advantage of the people, of God's people, who were supposed to be under their care. The leaders were so harsh that they were not satisfied with the tearing of the skin and the eating of the flesh. They absolutely chopped them up, chopped up their bones as if they were preparing a stew. How were they doing this? Because they weren't physically killing them, were they? Some, actually, they did. But they weren't really going through and chopping them up and putting them in a stew pot. How were they destroying the people? In our text throughout Micah in several places, here's exactly how they were doing it. They were taking uh, bribes. Remember when the Bible says they, um, 
uh, they would cry peace while they were chewing. Let's look at the Bible. Look at verse... Find it in a moment. Look at verse 5. Thus says the Lord concerning the prophets that make my people err, that bite with their teeth and cry peace. And he that puts not into their mouths, they even prepare war against him. Basically, these people would bring food, bread, meat, gifts, whatever. And if they brought the prophets and the teachers gifts, as the picture is, as they were taking and receiving in these, these gifts, they would say, peace to you. No judgment's going to come on you. You're going to be great. But if they wouldn't bring a, a gift, they would say, war's coming to you. Destruction's coming on you. You're going to be destroyed. In other words, they were being bought. If They were being bought and purchased. They weren't preaching and teaching and prophesying for the good of the people. They were doing it for the benefit of themselves. How were they destroying the people? They were not disseminating God's truth rightly to them. God was saying to Micah, they're all in trouble. The prophets were saying, hey, I love your gift. Thank you. Peace be to you. You'll be fine. God's not going to bring judgment on you. And then the opposite, if they didn't bring them a gift. Micah basically says, by their briberies, this is how you're destroying the people. By your unfair actions toward them. If they, they wouldn't give to the leaders and the prophets what they wanted, they would mistreat them and they would hurt them. They would steal from them. Look at chapter 2, verse 8. Remember, in chapter 2, it was talking about how they mistreated the poor. Chapter 2, verse 8. Even of late, my people has risen up as an enemy. You pull off the robe with the garment from them that pass by securely as men. Or verse from You're stealing from them. You're taking from them. You're oppressing them. In, in chapter 3, verse 9, it says, Hear this, I pray, you, you heads of the house of Jacob and princes of the house of Israel, that you abhor judgment and you pervert all equity. You've, you've killed them. You're committing bloodshed. In, 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 in chapter 7, verse 2, you can look at that. They were even killing them at times. In essence, they left the people helpless and hopeless because they wouldn't simply say, thus saith the Lord. Do you understand why being a leader or being a prophet has such great consequences and responsibility? Because you don't have the right or the privilege to say what you want. You have to be a voice. You have to say what God wants to say. That's why I think people get mad at a lot of times at the, at the teachers or the pastors or, or whatever because you're not always saying things that are easy to be heard, are you? You're not always saying things that you want to hear. I've told you the funny story. Lisa and I would go to church all happy and nice. We'd hear a sermon, biblically sound message. We'd go home arguing and, and, and mad at each other because she was wrong and I was I mean, because what we heard convicted us. And instead of in our pride saying, oh, 
that's for me. She was saying, that's for Steve. And Steve was saying, that's for Lisa. You know? And until our hearts became humble before the Lord, and we said, whoa, this is for me. I don't care who else it's for, but this is for me. Until that happened, we were angry at Pastor. How many, how many times you, would, you said, I ain't going back to that place again because of what preacher taught. And, and I remember sitting at a restaurant years ago and we were with about six other people and they started roasting the pastor. You know what I mean by roasting the pastor? Saying, you know, bad things about him, talking bad about him, saying how he didn't understand people, saying how he mistreated this situation, how he didn't handle this situation right. And the problem was, we were in the midst of it. And we were included in that group because they thought we also felt the same way. Because there were some things we didn't understand. There were some things that we didn't know about. And we were, we were being pulled into being against Pastor Fenwick. But something happened that night at that dinner. One of the men there said, simple state, couple of words, he said, that short man. Or, right? He called my pastor that short. Because he was. He, he stood probably here to me. He was five foot basically something. You know, he was short. But that struck me hard. And I thought, wait a minute. This isn't right. You know what I did? I went directly home and I called him. And I said, well, I didn't say pastor because you first talked to his wife and then you talked to pastor. She always answered the phone. I said, Mrs. Fenwick, can we meet with pastor? She said, hold on. Yes, Steve. Yeah, sure, Sunday night, let's meet. So Sunday night after church, we went into pastor's office, Lisa and I with Mrs. Fenwick, at, at, at 9.30, and we just started talking. We told him the things that we've heard by not necessarily telling the people, but the, the, the things that we heard, the things that we thought maybe was wrong. Remember, we just poured our heart out to Pastor Fenwick. It took maybe an hour, and we talked. He answered questions. I understood, not a problem. We stayed in his office till one o'clock in the morning, talking and listening and just building our relationship. And, and, and really, really, what God did is he allowed me one last time with Brother Ron because two weeks later, we flew to England and five months later, he died in a plane crash. Here's the point. These are false prophets and they were wicked men because they wouldn't speak the truth. My pastor spoke the truth, yet people rose up against him and attacked him. And I was starting to do that as well. But I stopped and I did what God's Word said. I went and talked to him. Do you know what? Leaders and teachers, pastors, Sunday school workers, and they all are holding a great responsibility. And before we call them a false teacher, we better make sure that they are a false teacher. These men were, and they were attacking and destroying the people because of what they were teaching. Now look at verse 5 again. The condemnation of these false prophets. Thus says the Lord concerning the prophets. By the way, there is no word really 
in Hebrew for false prophet. The, the, the word prophet, I think, is nevim or something like that. There's no other word for false prophet. So sometimes the Bible will, will stick in another word called pseudo, meaning a pseudo prophet. But even though we see in this text that it's not calling them false prophets, they are truly false prophets by their actions. Who make my people stray. Who chant peace while they chew with their teeth, but prepare war against him who puts nothing into their mouth. My Jewish Bible notes at home say this. These prophets shaped or announced their prophecies to please the people. You know what? That's what made them such bad prophets. They were at the whim of the people to manipulate the message that they would preach. Basically because they, they were lusting after things. Their heart was not right. They were wrong with God. And so if they brought them a gift, they would say blessings to you. If they didn't bring them a gift, they would say curse to you. They would please those who were bringing, bringing gifts so as to increase, to increase the gifts they were receiving. In other words, they thought, hey, I can get more when they bring me a gift. I'll say a good prophecy on them. So next time, they'll bring me even more. And it'll continue on. And, and so they didn't care about the message. They only wanted from what they could gain from the message. And I was thinking in my office tonight, just a little while ago, it seems as if not, has, not much has changed over the millennia. The thousands of years since this has been written. We now today change our message so as not to have opposition. We pull back some of the harder issues of the Bible so people won't get upset and get mad, right? We change the message so that we don't anger those who give money, the givers of the church. So it won't affect the, the tithes and the offerings, in essence, the salary or stipends of the pastor or, or whatever the work of the ministry. So because we're worried about money, we will not teach the truth. Well, not we, but some. The message has changed in order to attract greater numbers. This happens all the time today. And I think about this, no wonder our churches are in the situation that we are in. No wonder, with all the churches in the UK, there are more people playing football or whatever on a Sunday than, than, than even getting close to a church. I, I want to do something. It's a personal thing. It's a fun thing. It's to do something that I enjoy and I want to go out with a group of people that do it. But do you know when they do it? Sundays and, and only Sundays. And I promise you this, I will never do it. Just fun stuff, hobby stuff. I'll never do it because it's on a Sunday. You know, we, we, we try to change things for greater numbers and, and and i don't know why i just told you that illustration because it doesn't match anything i just said does it <laughs> well good if it spoke to you amen listen convictions are greater than ease okay it's better to have convictions that you stand by that please god 
than to take the other direction just to have a time of ease. But here's what the big problem with these teachers were. They were stealing. They were hurting the people. But do you know what God said through Micah the prophet? You're making my people go astray. That word, that word stray or to, to astray, it means to lead them astray. When he says you make my people go astray, it doesn't mean, oh, you're just letting them go. Me, he, Micah is saying, you are taking them that way. You are leading them to go away from me, to go away from the Lord. That word stray means to cause someone to wander, to wander from a proper belief or course of action. Do you know what the most horrible thing about these leaders and teachers were? It's the fact that they were purposefully taking people away from God. Why? Because they wouldn't tell them the truth. Just a side note from the New Testament. What are we supposed to do? Go to 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy 3. I've been, in, I've been at Woodlawn for a couple of years maybe. Just kind of new still in... in, in we went to a, 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 a conference in Washington, D.C., because we live real close. We're like neighbors to D.C. And so me and Bryant, um, a couple other people, and pastor went to this conference because preacher was speaking at it. And uh, at the end of that conference, I felt God calling me I felt like I wanted to surrender to the ministry. So I went to Pastor afterwards. I remember clearly. I walked up to him and I said, Pastor, I, I think God's calling me into the ministry. That, that God wants me to be a preacher. He looked at me. He looked at me and he said, Great, Steve. Don't tell anybody. That broke me. I'm like, what? But years later, I understood he said, what he meant was, make sure it's what God wants and not all this fluff that you've heard tonight that stirs up your emotions because being a prophet and teacher is heavy business. And it's not about making friends and it's not about making wealth. It's about speaking God's truth and leading people to God. Okay? Now look what they were doing was leading people away from God. They were taking them from the proper belief in God's word and basically using them. In essence, those teachers and prophets hated God's people because they wouldn't tell them the truth. Look at 2 Timothy 3. Here's what God's men are not, you know, God's men are not to lead people astray, but we are to do this. Paul tells Timothy, but you have carefully followed my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, perseverance, persecutions, afflictions, which happened to me at Antioch and at Iconium and Lystra, what persecutions I endured. And out of them all, the Lord delivered me. Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution, Timothy. But evil men and imposters will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being 
deceived. That's those false prophets. But you must continue in the things which you have learned. You must stay to the truth of the doctrine. You must not veer. You must not move left or right. You must go the direction in which I've taught you. You know what you've been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Jesus Christ. Listen, these teachers in Micah's time, they didn't care about the people. They didn't care about God. And they used their religion and their position to fill their pockets and to, to provide for, them, for their own selves. They did all of that just to gain profit. Micah says again, he says, you promise peace for those who give you food, but you declare war on those who refuse, refuse to feed you. You have no conviction. You have no character. You have no love for God. You have no love for His Word. Because why else would they do that if they loved God? Why would they hurt the people of God? If they feared the Lord, Andrew, why would they teach what God didn't say. If they reverenced the living God, why would they lead the people astray? You know what Peter says? Peter says, shepherd the flock of God which is among you. Serve as overseers. Not by compulsion, but willingly. And listen to this. Not for dishonest gain. What were these men doing it for dishonest gain? It tells us in 1 Timothy, a qualification of an elder, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not covetous. You know what was awful with these people? Go to Psalms 97 verse 10. I didn't plan on reading this, but let's let's do it anyway. Psalm 97. You that love the Lord, verse 10, what does it tell them to do? Hate evil. You that love the Lord, hate evil evil this showed that they did not love the lord because what does micah say about them you love evil and you hate good that shows that they didn't love the lord man they could say i love god all day long but their actions showed that they did not and you and we can in our churches today people say oh i love the lord and i love jesus and i love his people and i love this but if our actions don't show it and that's what Micah's saying. Amen? Uh, that's Psalm 97.10. It says, if you, you that love the Lord hate evil. And look at Proverbs 8. Eight verse 13. 
The fear of the Lord is to what? Hate evil. These, these guys loved evil. Therefore, they did not love God and they did not reverence Him. Their problem was their relationship with God was dead. That's why they did what they did. These leaders and prophets, they didn't really care. That, 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 I was sitting in my office, well, my, my mini office at home. I got this really cool desk in the corner that I sit at, 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 at home. And, and I'm sitting there thinking, you know what? They just didn't care. They'd say peace or curse you. They didn't care about the people. They didn't care about God. They, they, I think that might be one of the worst things. They just had no heart. You know? And, and, and why do you think God was bringing judgment upon the people? Because the men who knew better, the men who were supposed to know better, the people who had the Word of God, the people who were supposed to study the Word of God, it's not like everybody had a Bible or, or, a, or a, a Tanakh on their mobile phones back then. You know, They looked to them men to teach them God's Word. And they didn't. They didn't care. I don't get it. Man, I carry the weight and the burden all the time. I go to bed and I pray for you guys. And I wake up in the morning and I'm praying for our church. And, and I don't have a moment of the day where I'm not carrying something. And I'm not saying because that's not about me. That's about the position of what it should be. you know. And, and I just don't get it. But they just didn't care. They didn't care if God brought judgment to the people. They didn't care if God blessed the people. All they wanted was their, their stuff, their, their wealth, their materials. So, and I'll close in the next few minutes with these two points. What is the outcome of the actions of these wicked leaders and prophets? Look at verse 4. Micah 3, verse 4. It says this, Then shall they cry unto the Lord. They call out to God, but He will not hear them. He will even hide His face from them at that time as they have behaved themselves ill in all their doings. There's two things what happens. Because of the wickedness of these men, Two things. Number one, he will hide his face from them. Now, you and I look at that. What, what do you think? What, what do you think it means to hide his face from them? And if you've read the Jewish Bible, don't say it. <laughs> so, have you read the Jewish Bible? Don't. <laughs> what do you think? Because I didn't see this until I read the Jewish Bible. Then I thought, whoa. Then I started reading some other things. And yeah, when he says... He will even hide his face, face from them. What do you think? Anybody? Turn away? Yeah. Deny them? Yeah. Darkness? Oh, yeah, all of that and combined and about ten times worse. Anything, because it's all part of it. Anything else? When the Israelites came out of Egypt, and they're walking through that nice cool sand, right? And they're getting over to the Red Sea. They get to the Red Sea and they say, Oy vey, where can we go now? You know? <laughs> or maybe not. But, 
They said, where can we go now? And they turn around and go, oh, great. Moses brought us, brings us to the edge of the, the Red Sea. Now Pharaoh, in a really angry mood, is charging towards us. He's going to eat us alive. Now what? What happened? Uh, before that, before the Red Sea parted, what came down on them? A pillar of fire. Who was in the pillar of fire? The Lord. The divine presence. For 40 years, that divine presence led them at night by a pillar of fire and a cloud, cloudy pillar by day, right? It wasn't just some freaky cloud in the sky and some freaky pillar of fire. It, it was the very presence of God. And also the presence of God eventually once they had it done came into the tabernacle and rested upon the mercy seat, the Ark of the Covenant, the divine glory of God, okay? When it means that he will even hide his face from them, actually in the Hebrew, it means this. He will remove his Shekinah glory. You know what he's saying? I will remove my presence from you. That's turning the face away. That's darkness that's denying, but on steroids, isn't it? It is the very presence of God gone. What happened when they were in captivity? No revelation, no not, you know, it, it was done. He removed that Shekinah glory. The Shekinah glory is simply the divine presence of the living God amongst His people. The word Shekinah doesn't actually appear in the Bible but the concept clearly does. The Jewish rabbis coined this extra biblical expression, a form of a Hebrew word that literally means he caused to dwell. Signifying that it was a divine visitation of the presence or dwelling of Jehovah God on this earth. When they got into the land of promise and they built their tabernacle there, and they built the temple there, the presence of God came in and dwelt there, correct? Do you remember? I forget, was it um, Ezekiel that showed the picture because of their sin, Andrew? The presence of God, the divine Shekinah glory departed from that temple because of their sin. And that was being prophesied here in Micah. Because you leaders won't say, thus saith the Lord, this is what's going to happen. And just write this down for your notes. We won't read it together. But the concept of the Shekinah glory is found in Deuteronomy 31, verses 14 through 17. And you can read that. He simply said, I will hide my face. No, he said, he will hide his face as if he does not see their troubles and will withdraw his special care from them. You know when Micah said he will hide his face from you, he said he said he won't help you. This is coming. Your judgment is sure. But there's another issue that happened in verse 4. He said he said he will even hide his face from them at that time as they behave themselves ill in their, in their doings. But look at the beginning. Look what it says. He will not 
hear them. Simply put, you will pray. Because the truth is, God can hear, can He? But the point is this, He will not answer it. You will pray and you will not be, be, have an answer. You will seek, you will seek a, the destruction of your enemy, but because of your sin, your idolatry, because your leaders won't tell you truth and they've led you astray, God will not hear from you. Micah was speaking of the time when Israel would be taken into captivity. They would go into captivity suffering the consequences of their sin. And yet we know God listens to the prayers of His people, right? But sometimes He refuses to relieve them immediately from the consequences of their actions. And Micah saying, it will be as if, because of your sin, that God does not hear you. Why did all this happen? Simply because they would they, they refused to obey God's word and the leaders in that nation refused to lead them correctly. If those leaders would have led correctly, there would probably still be some that wouldn't that would have gone into idolatry. Right? But what happened here is they, they just totally and completely went into it because those men would not tell them the truth. But I thank God that there's always a remnant. Amen? Isn't there always a remnant? Hey, just a short time away from the Babylonian captivity, there was at least one that was saying, turn to God. His name was Jeremiah. Men, when no one else was listening, Jeremiah was still telling them the truth to the very day they went into captivity. And isn't that a blessing to you and I in a way? Because even though judgment's coming, God doesn't stop giving us the out. You know? And, and, and until the very day God returns and Christ calls out His church and the tribulation period is ushered in, do you know that God will give them an opportunity to the very last second? There'll be someone telling the truth. Amen? So here's what you do. You pray for me. And I know you do. But you keep praying for me that I do not change. But I stay to the truth of God's Word. I'd rather preach God's truth and have the convictions and character of His Word than to have an easy time and no problems, but yet have no fear and no love for God. Amen? Amen. Any thoughts or questions?